Raiders podcast for the week of May 19th. I'm DirtOnDirt.com staff writer Joshua Joyner, joined by the rest of the Dirt on Dirt editorial staff today for our weekly discussion on all the latest news, results, and notable topics of dirt late model racing. This podcast is a weekly feature here at Dirt on Dirt, appearing every Wednesday on the website and in your favorite podcast app if you subscribe to the podcast feed. Joining me today, we have DirtOnDirt.com senior writer Kevin Kovac, who made the quick trip down to Virginia Motor Speedway on Saturday to cover the 20000 to win. Virginia is for racing lovers, king of the Commonwealth. Add that to the list of races that are overly difficult to announce. <laughs> Kevin, did you enjoy your return to VMS? Yeah, that, that is a do- definitely a long uh, title for a race, isn't it? You had to had to be careful typing that. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a good trip. Nice day. It was like 75 degrees and a nice sunny. No, no. There's so many times I've been to West, I mean to Virginia Motor over the years where there was such a chance of rain, and this time nothing. So uh, it, it was nice to be back. I hadn't been there since 2018. I, I had I had a good time there. And also we have Dirt on Dirt Weekend Editor Robert Holman, who in uh, the group chat message that the four of us used to keep in contact, earlier this week he used the word boondoggle to describe an errand trip that he had been sent on. And Robert, since I haven't had a chance to talk to you about that until now, I was wondering if you could explain what exactly a boondoggle is. A boondoggle is a... Usually it's a fruitless trip that you're that you're spending a pointless and fruitless trip that you're you've been sent on or an errand. Basically, my grandfather used to take me on. He's like, hey, let's go on a boondoggle, and we would just get in the car and grab a pack of hot dogs and some hot dog buns and and literally walk railroad tracks. He he used to work for the railroad way back in the day, and and he loved trains and stuff. And and let's go on a boondoggle, and it's just a pointless trip that you take you know with with no really point so much as just to kind of go out and about my boondoggle was actually out trying to scrounge up food for my son's graduation party so it definitely felt with me out getting you know with a buggy full of groceries it definitely felt like a boondoggle for me for sure boondoggle i'm see if i can work that word uh into a story now that i know what it means here coming up in the future so appreciate that of course, uh, last but not least, we have Todd Turner, our uh, managing editor here at Dirt on Dirt. Todd, I know that we are all unbiased reporters here, but I also know that you like to see drivers from your home state of Kentucky perform well, especially whenever it comes against drivers from the home state of some of our colleagues in the video department at DOD. With that in mind, I have to imagine that you are uh, uh, happy to see Tanner English get a big win at Fairbury this past weekend. Yeah, that English bunch has been... I've been following them and, and relatively close to them over the years. Tanner did a great job, and and uh, Vicky, I know that all those guys are excited about that. It's uh, good good for the Kentucky folks to uh, steal one from the Illinois bunch there. Before we dive into uh, discussing English's big win and, of course, all the other uh, events over, over the weekend, I want to at least take a second to mention the cancellations we saw over the weekend that, of all things, were due to the gas shortages that stemmed from the shutdown of a vital fuel pipeline uh, here in the southeast. Of course, the Lucas Oil Series canceled their doubleheader at 411 in Talladega, and uh, also notably the Crate Racing USA Tour postponed its 10,000-to-win event at Boot Hill Speedway down in Louisiana. Thankfully, it seems as though the fuel shortage situation is old news at this point, but I'm curious if you guys have ever experienced any kind of race cancellation as crazy as this. Obviously, the pandemic shutting everything down last year was its own level of crazy. But that aside, have you ever seen anything you know you can kind of relate this to uh, in all your years of, of covering racing? Todd, I'll start with you. You got anything that compares to this? I mean, nothing not 
things that is over such a wide, relatively wide, wide area. You know, sometimes you'll have a track. Uh, everything's the weather's perfect. Everything looks great. Oh, we can't race tonight because there were a, a power outage just right at the property or something like that, uh, which is also kind of unusual. But uh, in this case, I think it was more the uncertainty of it than uh, than the fact that you knew that there wasn't going to be fuel. It was more the fact that if you're thinking about fans, you know, traveling perhaps hundreds of miles to races with the uncertainty where there would be uh, gas at the, at the gas station, you know, or, or long lines that might make that difficult. It was a tough call and I completely understand it, but it's also one of those, you know, it, it reminded me of us sitting here about a year ago thinking, oh, wait, do I need to get toilet paper? I'm like, I really don't. But then you see everyone else has the toilet paper. So uh, it's the same thing with the gas thing a little bit. You know, eventually we do all need gas. Uh, so, so, you know, the uncertainty of knowing can, can I take a trip to the racetrack without putting my family in danger of not being able to go get groceries the next day, you know, that it kind of, uh, uh makes it a tricky situation for people who, de who depend on fans, uh, making those trips. Yeah. And I agree. I think it's the, the uncertainty of it and the uncertainty that was faced that led to those cancellations. And I know I can kind of relate it to, you know, living down in Florida in hurricane season when there's a hurricane, you know, headed the entire state basically at times will be uh, in the cone of uncertainty uh, as we call it down here. And so it's, it's hard when you have a hurricane that's three or four days out, and let's say it's early in the week and they're getting ready to host the tracks, getting ready to host a race and people are coming from out of town are, are looking to, you know, book hotels, you know, plan trips and everything. And sometimes it'll be an, you know, an early cancellation. They won't even get a drop of rain from the hurricane if it goes a different direction, but just the uncertainty of it, People, whether or not they're going to be able to get down there, whether or not they're going to be able to get back, if they're going to be stuck in a hurricane when they get down here, um, leads to those cancellations. So that's not crazy off the wall to me to see something like that, because we also deal with fuel shortages whenever the hurricanes happen. So that's not too crazy, but it was still something uh, totally you know, different than what we're used to. Kevin or Robert, you guys kind of compare that to, to anything you've seen before? Yeah, I, I got a couple uh, strange cancellations over the years. But I remember back, it was like 95 or 96, it was Easter Sunday race. They always had this Penn National Speedway uh, with small block modifieds around uh, around Harrisburg. We get there. I mean, and it was, it's always be one of their biggest year, biggest crowds of the year, huge crowd. We're sitting there in the grandstand, and all of a sudden, like, there's some smoke coming up underneath. Some other, it's a great big old real high-pitched wooden grandstand where, like, the fans, you know, like, all concession stands are underneath it and stuff, you know. So uh, we're like, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, they tried to keep everybody calm. Everybody, please uh, move out of the grandstand. Well, somebody had dropped a cigarette down underneath, and it caught the wood on fire or something. They had to cancel the race, the big Sunday, Easter Sunday race, because the grandstands were on fire. You go outside, and the, the fire engines were coming in. And uh, it, it, I, I'd never had that before. I was in the grandstand that was actually catching on fire. Uh, yeah, and then there's another time uh, I remember going back as again in the 90s. I went to Mahoning Valley Speedway, a little asphalt track in Pennsylvania for a run what you brung race with some dirt guys. Beautiful sunny day. Get there. They're canceling the races uh, because there's a natural spring that like sprung up and is like going water all the way across. track. They could not plug it up. So had to stop racing. And, and there's one other thing. It wasn't a cancellation. Oh, it was almost a cancellation, but I was at a, in 1988, I was at the Freedom 76 at Grandview Speedway in Pennsylvania, their biggest race of the year, huge crowd. And they had, during the heat races, they had to send everybody out of the grandstand because somebody had called a bomb threat into the racetrack. And so uh, they said, please 
be calm, leave the racetrack. Cops were coming in. They had snip bomb sniffing dogs in the racetrack. I guess someone had been, well, so there was a wife that was mad about their husband going to the race and apparently called in a bomb threat to try to end it. So it ended up being oh a two my. or three in the morning race. Uh, you know, we, they, That's good. they figured out there was no bomb there, but it was very close to being a very strange cancellation of one of the, what would have been the biggest races of the year. So, uh, I forgot. I, I, I offer that one up too. That was kind of, that was kind of neat. I'm glad you got that last bit in there. That is probably the, the funniest uh, race cancellation story I've ever heard. But anyway, so uh, Robert, you want to try to follow that up? <laughs> Well, I'm not sure if I can follow up a uh, an almost cancellation with a, a real cancellation, uh, but, I, but I'll give it a shot. In 06, uh, my brother and I went to what's now known as Boyd Speedway over in Ringgold, Georgia, right there on the Tennessee-Georgia state line. So 06, we get there, and it's a beautiful day. The sun is shining, and it's a, I'm pretty sure it's a Friday. And uh, my brother had, had come home from the military, you know, he was, he was in the Navy and he used to fly home. And back when he was kind of first getting started, we didn't get to race much, maybe eight or 10 times a year. So anytime he would come home, we would search out anywhere to go just so we could get on a racetrack. We had a, a brand new race car. I don't even think we'd put a race on it. I think I just built the car. So he flies in, we head out. It's a beautiful day and we get to Boyd's and there's a sign on pit gate just closed no warning no no nothing and I'm like what the crap i call the phone number and this guy answers i'm like you guys aren't racing tonight and he's like no the owner had to take his wife to dinner <laughs> the owner had to take his wife to dinner so they canceled yeah, the entire bomb, freaking he saw a bomb program coming yeah, yeah. No, no, no. He, he avoided the whole bomb threat situation when so, it just nipped so, it in the butt. <laughs> this Yahoo had to take his wife to dinner. Couldn't take her on a Saturday. It's a Friday night race. What about Sunday brunch? I mean, something, <laughs> you know, anyway, there was a Southern All-Stars race going on that same night. The Crossville and my brother and I hightailed it across the mountain there and got to Crossville just in time. We didn't have tires to run this. Didn't have we had American racers at the time. Didn't even have tires to run. So we we hightailed it to Crossville. I called a buddy who who was in Cookville and he brought us a couple of Hoosiers and we swapped tires in time just to qualify and and went out there and and ran that Southern All Stars race first night on a on a new car. It was the first time my brother had ever started a Southern All Stars race and. Very memorable night, but uh, yeah, got dinner, dinner cancellation. As many racers and even race fans will tell you, you know, you don't keep the wife happy, you might not be racing uh, very much longer. So, you know, got to tend to that kind of stuff. But uh, we did fortunately get in, uh, didn't have any too many crazy cancellations uh, this weekend. Of course, Brandon Overton was the weekend's big winner. Uh, he swept the ultimate Southeast Series weekend in Virginia, 5,000 at Natural Bridge Speedway on Friday, and then the 20,000 to win uh, King of the Commonwealth at Virginia Motor on Saturday. Uh, Kevin, you were at that race, as we mentioned, and I, I read your notebook on Monday from the uh, from the race with uh, Overton as the lead, and he talked about how, you know, he kind of 
if you want to call it a little bit of a slump the, the past month or so, the past few weeks, uh, kind of broke out of that. And he mentioned that that was due to some testing or kind of implied that it was due to testing as he's gearing up for these bigger races in the summer. And I'm just wondering if you buy that. Do you think he was really testing? And, and that's kind of we can see him now. He's back to, uh, you know, what we saw at the beginning of the year. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I do. I believe it because uh, I, Brandon Overton is one of my favorite like drivers to interview. I think now, you know, he just not not only does he throw in little, he has his own little sayings and stuff that are pretty cool, you know, but he he, he breaks down stuff really well. I like the way like I'll go. I just went up to him after Virginia Motor was over. He's getting you know getting he's putting some stuff in the pickup truck or something, and, and he's uh and he's. He, he just breaks it that he would like really explain that race and what's happened lately and why he hasn't felt like he was really up to par. Uh, you know, like a couple of weeks ago, he went and ran those uh, Lucas races at Ponderosa in Florence and, and he dropped out of both and wasn't, wasn't really in the mix. He wasn't a contender. Like, and I remember looking at him like, man, well, what's up with Overton? Why he didn't, he wasn't in, he wasn't up there running for the lead or up in the top five in either race. And, and he said it was, he's looking at these big races coming up, you know, I mean, he, he sees the double dreams, which you could win, what, $273,000. I think it is. If you'd swept your preliminary and the feature in uh, the hundred lapper all four nights. And he also was taking note of Jonathan Davenport running pretty well. And he says, Hey, you know, like we, we, we just can't sit here and be complacent that we were running. Well, we have to make sure that we're on our game and, and uh, and once we get into those big races, we won't have time to really figure out if 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 we can find something better, uh, if we can test. We won't have time to test and figure out a a better mousetrap. So uh, they tried some stuff at, at those two Lucas races, didn't work. Uh, then they went right back home, went and tested at Sonoa. They went and tested at Cherokee, and finished second at Smoky Mountain. He and he he said he knew exactly that he. Had to should have made one more change at Smoky Mountain, and then they went out and tested after Smoky Mountain was over that for the Southern All Stars race, and it, and it was exactly what he thought. He, the car reacted just the way it was, so he felt, man, I'm back in track. I mean, and and then at Virginia Motor, he fell back to eighth. He he started outside pole, falls all the way back to eighth, and you're like, oh no, what's happening? And and then he just started picking them off, picking them off. It probably would have even done it faster if he didn't have a few cautions in there, which made him have to pass the same guy like a couple times. Definitely was the the best guy in that field, other than possibly G.R. Smith, who uh, I don't know if he would have been able to hold on the last 26 laps, but he led first first 34 with the new Longhorn, and he 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 was very disappointed, obviously, when he broke his drive shaft to to knock him out. He had a softer tire on. Would he have been able to hold off Overton? I don't know. Overton does. Overton thought he'd have been able to get him. Well, I think we got Overton back on track and uh, full capacity going into these big shows. Yeah, it definitely uh, was a heartbreak for for Gr Smith there. Whether or not he was going to be able to hold off Overton was still going to be a, a, a look like it was going to be a good run for him. And then, as you said, Kevin, if if Overton is back to his former self as he was earlier in the year, that could uh, spell trouble for the the rest of the the field is going into these big money races coming up this summer. We mentioned earlier that the other big winner on the weekend was Tanner English. It was $15,000 win at Fairbury on the Mars Tour. Uh, it was part of a doubleheader weekend there. I did joke earlier about uh, English being from Todd's home state, uh, but as Todd mentioned, he has kind of followed just from you know being in Kentucky and, and seeing the English family and their, their racing careers, uh, uh, Tanner and Terry, uh, can kind of, I think, provide us some perspective on what that win means for English and, and uh Tanner English in his career, Todd kind of provides some perspective on what he's, where he's come from to get there and kind of what that means 
uh, for him, positioning him going forward uh, both this year and perhaps even looking more long term for his career? Yeah, yeah, Tanner, he, you know, for many years, you know, he, he went starting crates, moved to kind of up into supers, and he's traveled quite a bit, run some summer nationals, and then, of course, got his chance with the Weaver, uh, Randy Weaver, a couple of years ago that kind of fell through, rode, uh, drove for Big Frog a little bit, and now this Riggs Motorsports thing, kind of, it's kind of a natural, you know, they, they're connected with them with Illinois, near his, near where his wife was from, and, uh, and this team seems to really have been the one that's going to, uh, you know, put him to where, where he belongs. Because really, Tanner, you look at this weekend, he's the kind of guy that could contend or run up front in big races like this. But he would tend to, you know, finish fifth or sixth, fall back or, or whatever. These last uh, half dozen races here, I mean, he wins Brownstown except for Larson. Larson just found some extra something just to stay ahead of Tanner the other night for, at Brownstown on Wednesday. And then, of course, at Farmer City in Fairbury, Tanner's right there. And so Tal has gotten, he's found that thing to put himself right in the mix and, and win these big races. He probably, all things being equal, would rather be doing this on the Lucas Oil Series. I'm not sure, though, that this might not turn out to be better for him um, money-wise and success-wise because uh, he's going to get a chance to run the Summer Nationals here. And that's something he's dabbled in before. His dad's run that a couple of times back in the day. Uh, so he, he knows what that's all about. And with this team and the, the resources and equipment to, to do that, uh, it'll be fun to see him. Uh, you know, he's got healthy facing a lot of those same tough guys he, he did this weekend, but hey, he outran them on on Saturday. So we'll see uh, we'll see how he does. But he's he's definitely kind of gotten over that hump, you know, that you weren't sure he was going to make. Uh, but now, I mean, he's got to be riding high. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the Summer Nationals with Tanner English running those. To me, that's one of the biggest things from this weekend is it kind of put him on the radar as someone for the Summer Nationals, uh, whether or not he decides to run the whole tour uh, as someone who can go in there and win some races. And just kind of an aside here, I noticed uh, Devin Moran, who has you know started the year hot on the Lucas Oil Tour, is kind of, kind of faded a little bit but still has some big wins. He doesn't have the upcoming Lucas Oil doubleheader on his schedule. is taking it off, and I do notice that um, he has later in the year the first week of the Summer Nationals on his schedule. So – not saying, but I'm just saying that could be interesting if he goes out there and performs well. And, you know, we could, we've talked a little bit about the summer nationals kind of losing some of its star power, so to speak. And who knows this year, it may be kind of a, a resurgence, uh, depending on who decides to run it, even if they're not running the, the whole series. Getting back on track, we of course had a lot of other regional tours in action over the weekend, plus some unsanctioned events. Robert, was there any, another winner from the weekend that stood out to you? Uh, actually, on Sunday, uh, it was an unsanctioned race, but, uh, you know, I was impressed, uh, always impressed with Greg Satterley uh, up there in the, the, the Northeast. Uh, he was able to pick up a, I think, $3,500 win at uh, Hagerstown. And, uh, you know, I think since he kind of peeled back off the Lucas Tour uh, a year or two ago, you also have seen how good, really, the development of a driver is when they are able to go out on the road and then come back home and, and how well they perform in their regional races and around the house. And he, he picked up another win there at Hagerstown. So uh, that kind of caught my eye on Sunday. There you go. And before we move on from this past weekend's results, I'll just mention that it seems like a long time ago now because we had so many races over the weekend. But uh, last week, midweek race for the uh, Castrol Flow Racing Night in America, Kyle Larson picking up his second 
late model victory of the season and third of his career, of course, running part-time in the uh, Kevin Rumley Longhorn there uh, and held off, as Todd mentioned, Tanner English and what, was, what ended up being a pretty good race uh, there at Brownstown. Also, uh, Brandon Shepard in his first outings of the season in his family-owned B5 car uh, won Friday night at Farmer City uh, with the Mars Tour. So there's a couple of races worth mentioning before we forge ahead. Another thing that stood out me, to me from the weekend, or I guess this was kind of from the week before this weekend leading up to it, um, is I noticed that the Ultimate Southeast Series had 10 uh, drivers who had perfect attendance through the Tour's first five races. And that was before heading to Virginia this weekend. They, of course, had the doubleheader in Virginia. Uh, I think three drivers that had perfect attendance up until then didn't make the trip. But still, they're at seven races on the season and seven drivers with perfect attendance. Uh, and it just kind of, especially with the kind of a showcase race for them, the 20,000 to win at Virginia Motor, kind of put a, a spotlight on them and just it made me think about regional series and, and kind of what makes a good regional series in, in the sport today. Because there does seem to be a lot of regional tours and, you know, there's some debate as to whether that's good for the sport or not. Putting that aside, I just wanted to get your guys' take on what makes a good regional series. If you're, you're following a series or a series to attract your attention to kind of keep up with what's going on there and perhaps make a trip to a rate one of their races, what do you look for? Uh, in a regional series. Uh, Kevin, we'll start with you on that one. See what you think. I had just counted up those perfect attendance guys too after the uh, Virginia Motor Race with the Ultimate Southeast and saw there were seven or there's two other guys only missed one. So uh, that's that's a pretty, I, I look, what I'm seeing and looking at a regional series, I'd like to see a good, at least five to seven uh, full-timers, guys that actually uh, run all of them. Uh, it's tough though. I, I don't know if there's that many, there's not too many regional series that probably have that. Uh, I, I know I remember a regional series a few years ago in the Northeast. By the second race, there was only one guy who had been to both. So, I mean, I, I, when, I, when I see that kind of stuff, I only see <laughs> two guys. You know, I mean, like that's – it's just a, a, a series. It's just a bunch of races that are like under the same name almost when you have that. Uh, you have to have at least a, a, a five, a five to seven that would feel like to make it look like, well, th these are these are the ultimate guys. These are the clash guys. These are the MLRA guys. You know, I, I don't want just to be the organization of, of a series that just has some guys pop in and out. You know, it, it doesn't seem like that's a championship hunt. Uh, so that, that's that's what I'm looking for in a series. And I, I hope that the ultimate series can keep that five to seven. Uh, I mean, but the, it's tough there because there's uh, there's so many options, especially in the southeast, that a guy uh, doesn't have to go race just one series. They could pick and choose. It doesn't make enough sense for them because these series aren't going to be offering the five hundred to seven hundred dollars a show up a, a night show up money that the national tours do, which make it worthwhile to keep going with series. So they're looking at it more of like what that sh what last place money is and how much point fund money. I know it's 20,000 to win the ultimate Southeast tour. So that's pretty good. That's a, you know, if, especially for, for those regional runners. And, and, and it seems like they're developing some new talent this year. You got Anthony Sanders just won his first race. Clay Knight just won his first race. So I, I like that probably maybe the best regional tour now would almost, I, I would maybe say it might be MLRA out in the Midwest because it doesn't really have a, a another major super late model competitor like kind of was always MLA, MLRA, and Mars, almost in the same area. Mars has kind of shifted out more to Illinois. Uh, so it, it seems, uh, I mean, they do kind of overlap in some spots, but MLRA, MLRA, I hate that saying that. It's hard to get the words out, the letters out. But uh, they they seem like they're a good, uh, a good fit for a regional series right now. 
Yeah, the, uh, the Lucas Oil MLRA uh, tour is one that has definitely stood out to me as well. And one thing I'll say about Ultimate is I noticed looking at their schedules, I think Kelly Carlson and the guys with that series did a good job of scheduling, keeping it local before they took this trip to Virginia, which is, isn't a huge haul for some of their, you know, their local area, but it is a bit of a haul. Whereas I look at a, you know, Southern All-Stars, they started their season opener was at Cherokee Speedway in South Carolina. And then they come down to my home track, Milton, Florida, which is eight hours at least, probably nine, you know, hauling a trailer uh, from Cherokee. So your first two races are nine hours away. It's kind of hard. I think it's hard for guys like you need to get guys on the series, get a few races under their belts, maybe get them, you know, in a points race. Perhaps they'll be more enticed to make that long trip. And that's one thing I think ultimate has a lot of options, tracks there in their their area that, that are easy, easy drives for most of their uh, their local, you know, regional guys in that area. But uh, Robert, what about you? You got any uh, thoughts on a perfect or, or ideal regional series? In, in reality, I, I really feel like there are too many regional series out there. Um, I feel like they're probably hurt super late model racing at the local level, uh, which, you know, has in turn uh, been a boon to not a boondoggle, but a boon to a uh, the crate late model stuff around local racetracks. Uh, so I'd kind of like to see fewer uh, of these regional tours. But if we're if we're going to go that route, uh, you know, I agree wholeheartedly with Kevin. You know, five, six, seven guys. Uh, you know, if I'm a fan showing up, I don't want to I don't want to show up for a regional race and and there's like two guys running for the points. I'll you know we we list the top five uh, finishes in the season in those points deals and and you look at like this fifth place guy. Did he even go to 75% of the races, you know, so I always hate to see that. I like to see, you know, good attendance and I, I like to see at least the top five guys being able to, to battle it out and, and make it worth the while, worth while going down the stretch, you know, we get to September and October and, and all of a sudden you look at some of these regional tours and there's like a 400, 500 point swing and only three guys are following it. And by then it's like, you know, it's ho-hum and like Kevin mentioned, it's just, it's just a regional tour by name. It's not even a, a series anymore. So, um, you know, that uh, good start money, obviously, I, I've, I'm always been a proponent for, for solid start money. Uh, you know, I, I think a $5,000 to win race should, should pay $500 to start. Uh, you know, I think last place money should be always around 10%. It doesn't always work that way. And I understand these 10,000 to win races sometimes pay seven or eight or, you know, some of them pay five and at the regional level, it's, it's a little bit tougher to, to get funds. But, uh, if a regional tour can get a, a solid sponsor and offer good start money around 10% of, uh, of what the first place money is, I think you might actually see more people follow the race, um, follow the series and, uh, and get your tire rules, Get your tire rules in order too, guys. I mean, as a racer, as a person who owns a race car, these tire rules bouncing from series to series are 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 just absolutely a killer when it term when it comes uh, time to go race a race. You know how it is as well, Joshua, with your brothers and all racing. It's tough going out there and and carrying a trailer load of tires around and having to groove tires and do all this stuff. And when you're wanting to get out and travel a little bit so i wish they would get their tire rules in order pay a little bit more through the field and and maybe get five or six guys that we can count on going to each one of these races so the fans will have something to look forward to when a track does book a race yeah a couple of good points there the the tire rule i think can can kind of make or break a series because you got to balance whether you know something that works for series regulars you don't want to be changing the tire rule on them a whole lot from race to race but you also want to be able to attract 
the guys who don't follow the series, the locals or the guys in that area, you don't want to come in there with a tire that they never run and have to buy a lot of tires just to be able to run one race or a weekend uh, double header there. And another thing is the the pay. I think uh, better payback and, and to start money uh, as opposed to you know, 10,000 to win race that only pays 500 to win. Perhaps if it's a 5,000 to win race and you spread that money throughout the field a little better, um, it might work better to keep uh, guys on the series, not just with the one or two drivers that can come in there and win the, uh, the big money. But a lot of different things that the series of officials are balancing there. Todd, you got anything else, any other perspective you can add on uh, what makes a, a good regional tour? I agree with almost all you guys said I, I think my thing would be if you're if you want to have a regional series i think you need to sit down and write a mission statement what is this series going to bring how is it going to work where is it going to go and why you know you got to come up with the reasons not just hey i think we ought to have a series and then you just start going to wherever tracks you want to go to i, I think that's the issue also, some names of the series don't tell you exactly what the series does or is. You, you need to really kind of think about, we are going to serve this certain area of these certain drivers and come up with a real focus plan. It, it just seems to me like a lot of these series kind of start out accidentally and then they just kind of, you know, kind of uh, ooze into different areas and different, you know, uh, ideas of what it be. Uh, Richard Allen and I were talking about from Inside Dirt Racing. We were talking a couple weeks ago, and he was saying how in East Tennessee, where he lives, a lot of times there'll be three or four, you know, race, three or four races over, you know, three or four weeks, all with different series, but more or less the same drivers. So, you know, these series aren't even distinct in many ways. So, I, I think that's my issue. If you're going to start a series, uh, email me, Todd at DirtOnDirt.com, and give me your mission statement. And then we'll tell you whether you can go ahead or not. <laughs> there you go. Todd's offering free advice for uh, anyone that's wanting to start a, a regional tour. tour. I have an opinion, uh, uh, a feeling that Todd will probably try to talk them out of it if I know, know Todd correctly. But Looking ahead uh, to the week ahead of us, we have uh, another uh, busy week. You'll have both uh, regional, uh, excuse me, national tours back in action with Lucas Oil heading to Iowa to go to 300 Raceway and 34 Raceway. And then, of course, the World of Outlaws are going to be at Port Royal for a doubleheader there. Just a quick, maybe uh, one thing that you guys are looking at at the weekend ahead, whether it's national tours or regional events going on, what's something that you kind of have your eye on? Kevin, we'll start with you. Well, I'll be at Port Royal for the two-day show there. Another big show at Port Royal for late models, uh, $10,000, $15,000 to win on Friday and Saturday. Uh, I'll, I'll be looking at, well, Brandon Overton's coming to Port Royal, first time ever there. So that's a that's a kind of a neat uh, addition to the field, uh, see how he fares. And also, will Kyle Strickler be there? Uh, uh, he's the third, number, third in points now, just broke up with uh, uh, PCC Motorsports and Craig Sims uh, last week. Doesn't have a car of his own. Uh, he was trying to, he's hoping to maybe put something together for, for Port Royal, but uh, no word yet, if you will. So that, that'd be a, a notable uh, absence there if the third place guy in the point standings isn't at Port Royal this weekend. But there certainly will be a pretty good strong field because anytime the Outlaws or a national tour comes to Port Royal, there's a lot of guys uh, from the mid-Atlantic states that will come there and I mean, they'll be facing off number one right off the bat. You have Greg Satterley and almost like his home track there at Port Royal. And, and uh, I think he's ready to, to take on the outlaws when they come to come to his turf now this weekend. All right. And uh, Robert, what do you got you're watching? You know, I'll, I'll be um, 
checking out the the Lake Cumberland specials, the uh, Iron Man series will be having their northern uh, tour and their southern tour will be converging at Lake Cumberland, Kentucky for a, a, a race there this weekend. I think that pays um, a little over $5,000 to win. It'll be the first time that those two tours have, have actually kind of gone head-to-head, so it's a north versus south thing. And, you know, Lake Cumberland is one of those quirky little racetracks that when I first went there years ago, it was just like a big circle, and it was quirky then. And, and then they moved some – I think they moved some walls in or out or something to kind of make it a, a little bit more of an oval and uh but it's, it's a really tight racetrack and, and cars kind of get up on the on that berm and up they use that wall to kind of get off uh some traction and get down to the straightaways what little straightaways there are there so i'll be uh, uh looking forward to see what kind of crowd that chris tilly's uh valvoline tour has there at lake cumberland and uh and and five thousand thirty one dollars to win is what that race is i just looked it up so that's uh that's going to be a good one uh, i'm looking forward to that on saturday yeah, that's another uh topic for debate when we're talking about regional s- series that we didn't actually bring up but having the same series that has a north and south division uh that seems to be something that's becoming more popular uh these days but uh i'll mention the uh the lucas old double header one thing i'm kind of keeping my own is uh, ricky thornton jr of course the arizona driver that now lives in iowa and has for the past few years so that's kind of those races there are kind of in his uh adopted home region if you will tracks he's a little more familiar with after traveling with the, the series to a lot of new tracks this year um and of course it comes at a actually a, a, a chance for him to race close to that home uh close to home after a couple of off weekends for the series comes at a nice time for him because or fortunate time for him, I guess, because he had some shakeups with his crew with SSI Motorsports there that uh, I think he's kind of had a chance to regroup. Of course, he got uh, a $3,000 MLRA victory at Davenport on Friday night. It was unfortunate for him that two more races planned over the weekend that rained out. And then it was looking forward. I know he's looking forward to the, the flow race at Marshalltown that uh, was canceled due to pending weather. But I'm sure he'll be looking to uh, capitalize on racing somewhat close to his adopted home there this weekend at 300 Raceway and 34 Raceway. I think that's going to just about do it for the podcast. We will, uh, as we do pretty much every week here on the podcast, finish up by taking one more trip around our virtual roundtable for each of us to mention one thing that stood out to us from the past week, be it a race result or a news item that we haven't discussed, just something that caught our eye, caught our attention. Todd, we'll, we'll start with you. Yeah, I'll talk about Sam Mars, uh, the son of uh, Hall of Fame driver Jimmy Mars. He won his first Wissota late model feature up there at Rice Lake Speedway, a $2,000 victory. And, you know, Jimmy, of course, was in victory lane. As a matter of fact, finished right behind him in, in second in the race. Uh, so that's big for that family. You know, you we've seen tons of... Uh, uh, racing fathers uh, later on race with their sons or see their sons succeed. But that's no doubt a, a proud moment for Jimmy. And, uh, and it'll be fun to see uh, what Sam's uh, future holds. I mean, he uh, has the knack, and I love these driving the white uh, Mars car with a blue 28 on it, uh, kind of the classic Jimmy Mars look. So good for those guys. Keeping the family tradition going. That's good to see. Uh, Kevin, what do you got? I'm going to head back to GR Smith. I, I mentioned this in our fast talk too, but uh, I thought it was pretty neat where you know, I was chatting with him a little bit before the feature started. And I, I'd asked him a couple questions for about Jonathan Davenport, just well, you know, because when he remember he fielded the car that Jonathan Davenport won the 2017 World 100 with uh, uh, a few years ago. And, 
he was just mentioning about how good he thinks Jonathan is, all that kind of stuff. And, and then he just busted out with like, you know, I haven't, uh, I've been to world 100 one time in my life and it was, uh, and I won it, you know, and 20, I haven't been back since. And the only other time he's ever been in Eldora was for the dream in 2016. He raced himself and he broke the drive shaft twice without even completing a lap. He just went on and had some sort of problem and it just broke the drive shaft as soon as he rolled out on the racetrack. So, because uh, he's planning to, to go, he like hit the Broadnax Shaker team there. J.C. Clary owns the, the number 89 car that he runs. They just switched to a Longhorn car uh, for this past weekend. And uh, they're, they're, they want to get out there and run some of the bigger races and definitely go to Eldora. Uh, and it's just, I mean, how many guys have won the World 100 as a car owner and only been there once? That's a, it's probably a... I don't, I don't know. I have to look back in the history of books, I guess, to see if anybody's ever done that, but probably not many, if anybody at all. So I thought that was a pretty neat little tidbit about G.R. Smith that he kind of offered up himself. That's definitely a, a unique stat uh, coming from G.R. Smith there. Robert, what do you got? What's one thing that you've noticed over the past week? Uh, well, I definitely took note of uh, a pair of runner-up finishes by, by Dennis Herb Jr., uh, he finished second at uh, Fairbury behind Tanner English, and then on Sunday he went up to to Wilmot and uh, finished second behind Taylor Scheffler in the Diamond 43. That was a Dirt Kings race. Taylor Scheffler got by him after Dennis led 39 laps of that race. Uh, those two runner-up finishes, I take note of it because it, it has to be with the 15,000 to win race there at Fairbury. And then I think that Wilmot race paid a little over $4,000, uh, probably Dennis's most lucrative weekend, maybe even since speed weeks. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look, but, uh, it's definitely a fair runner up finish is kind of under the radar for Dennis, uh, who, who ran really well. And he was, you know, really fast at the end of that Fairbury race too. So just a couple of near misses, but still, uh, a lucrative again financially for him uh, which I'm, I'm sure helps out one thing i'll mention is actually a, a news item or a confirmation of a news item i guess you could say chatham speedway down in louisiana had put out uh, an announcement that they were looking at doing a fifty thousand to win crate race in september and uh earlier this week they confirmed that that they were going to host that race september 17th uh, and 18th, I believe that weekend, they're uh, 50,000 to win and they're limiting it to a hundred entries and they are taking uh, pre-entries uh, already. But the one the reason that stands out to me and I find that race interesting is it's scheduled on a weekend, that, that mid-September weekend as the same weekend as uh, Lucas Oil uh, Late Model Knoxville Nationals and a 50,000 unsanctioned super late model race at Texas Motor Speedway. So I think it's a good weekend, obviously it's a busy weekend, but I think it's a good weekend to have a big crate race if you're a crate late model racer, because you would think you won't have a whole lot of the super late model guys dipping down to try to get that, that big payday. So it'll definitely be interesting to see. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some super late model guys that, that still take that option if they have a crate ride uh, instead of traveling out to Texas or uh, Knoxville. But uh, either way, it's good to see that schedule there kind of, uh, kind of really make it a, a crate specific event. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Dirt Reporters Podcast. We'll be back again next Wednesday morning to recap all of the weekend's action and uh, hopefully provide some interesting and unique insight as well.
about boondoggles or something you wanted to avoid? I, I love that you yeah, I thought it was literally <laughs> went on them. My Man, grandfather like was that, a though. he was a boondoggle king, and he's like, and he would grab like wow. a pack of hot dogs and a buns, and that's it. And we would walk the railroad tracks and literally hobo down the tracks. And for lunch, he would build a fire, and we would take a stick and roast our hot dogs on the fire, and that, and no condiments. Can't carry condiments on a boondoggle, and we would roast our hot dogs over the fire by the railroad tracks like real hobos, and rarely even saw a damn train. So it kind of was a boondoggle. 